the eternal struggle of me <laughs> reading this book? Is this just a description or is this a, a seed planted that I should know in the future? <laughs> Cool. How's everyone doing? Everyone having a good Sunday? Yeah? Cool. I know Texas cares about football. I couldn't give less of a damn about it. So whatever, whatever uh, football games you're missing today to be here to talk about books, because clearly you guys are all big football fans too. <laughs> whatever you got going on, I'm glad that you are here. We are here for a very fun show with some very fun guests. We're going to be talking right now in this first act about chapter two of the fourth book in the Percy Jackson series, which is called The Battle of the Labyrinth. And I, of course, am not alone for this endeavor. I am joined by someone who is a big old Percy Jackson nerd now. She did it very rapidly. Someone I'm a quite big fan of, please make some noise, for my wife, Kelly Beckman Schubert. Hello. How's it going? Good. Do you have fun at the merch table before I the did. show? I have a lot of fun <laughs> at the merch table. I like meeting you guys, it's fun. We had to do it out of necessity at a recent live show, mm. and then Kelly decided that it's actually her favorite thing to do, and it's her warm-up for getting ready to talk yeah. on stage. Now it feels like you're all my friends, because I've met half of you, so, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so we're here to discuss, I think, just part of chapter two, because it's a beefy, beefy chapter, and we should just get right into chapter yeah, two, go. which is called, The Underworld Sends Me a Prank Phone Call. Now, of course, I always try to guess what's going on, so my guess when I was first reading this was, you know, that could be a whole lot of things. It's a beautifully vague Uncle Rick chapter title where it mm -hmm. could be taken in a lot of different ways. But my only guess because of Underworld, because my long running theory is that Bianca is totally fine. I think she is okay. Maybe this is me just telling this to myself so that I don't have to contemplate her being dead, but maybe she calls. I don't know why it would be a prank call. I don't know if Hades is still kind of grumpy about the whole book one of it all. So he asks Percy if his refrigerator is running. Don't know. Somebody ordered him a pizza from the <laughs> end of <laughs> So that was my guess. We'll have to see. Mm -hmm. I don't think we're even going to get to <laughs> if, <laughs> if I'm right or not. So where we last left our heroes at the end of chapter one, we had a very fun time at good with any e at the end high school. Mm -hmm. And then a not great situation where Percy and Annabeth are kind of grumpy at each other, which hurts my heart as someone that's heavily invested in their <laughs> potential future relationship. Yes. So they are currently taking a cab back to Camp Half-Blood, and Annabeth is not in the best of spirits, so narrator Percy opens this chapter with, quote, nothing caps off the morning like a long taxi ride with an angry girl. <laughs> not ideal. And then somehow it gets even better because his next line is, I was trying to talk to Annabeth, but she was acting like I punched her grandmother. <laughs> 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 which is a great phrase that I've never heard. And then, of course, I was thinking, okay, would Annabeth's grandmother be Hera? Is <laughs> Athena? The, like, I was trying to think, like, no what idea. do we, does Percy actually know her grandmother? <laughs> so Annabeth does tell Percy that she has had a summer in San Francisco that has been filled with monsters mm -hmm. and that she's gone back to camp twice, but she doesn't say why, which mm -hmm. is very mysterious of mm -hmm. her. 
And that also makes Percy feel hurt because she was in New York and didn't tell him. Yes. His big takeaway from all of this was she was in New York twice and didn't tell me. <laughs> Which, like, I can also understand. Yeah. Because this will happen sometimes with my friends because people come to New York quite often. Oh, yeah. Which is very fun. Mm -hmm. But sometimes I'll just be like, oh, I wonder what so-and-so is up to on Instagram. And I'm like, oh, cool. They're at the Empire State Building. And yeah. they didn't text me <laughs> yeah. that they're in New York. So. Yeah. It's hard. New York is a very busy city. Mm -hmm. I imagine people who come for a weekend may not have time to see us. Totally. But I do the same thing. I'm like, hold on a second. I saw that you're in New York. <laughs> We're best friends. I want to see you. <laughs> yeah, I at least, you know, let people know I'd be in Dallas. I was definitely too busy to see some of my friends. Oh, but yeah. I at least, you know, did text messages of like, maybe if I have free time, <laughs> which I definitely don't. But like, no. maybe... I'll see ya. Pat Thompson, I don't know if you're in the crowd, my old high school buddy, who I did text about this. <laughs> now, Annabeth has no sort of update on Nico. Percy then asks about Luke. Annabeth shakes her head, so no Luke update. And then Percy recaps the Luke of it all to the reader, just in case you've somehow not read books one through three. Just picked up number four and Did anyone going. start with number four? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I know some people like did wild Harry Potter things where they were like, oh, I read book six first. Okay, like, I mean, my sister read three first. That's at least more understandable. And she was, it was right after three came out, my aunt gave it to her and she read it first and then went back and read them all because she liked it so much. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that was still in the early days and I think she was young, so she was confused no matter what. <laughs> <laughs> so Percy recaps the Luke of it all. He also recaps the Kronos of it all and he ends the Kronos description with, in demigod speak, we call this a, quote, problem. <laughs> <laughs> So Annabeth says that Mount Tam is still overrun with monsters. Mm -hmm. She kept talking about San Francisco monsters, and I was like, oh, tech bros? Um, <laughs> but she doesn't think that Luke is there in this group of monsters. Mm -hmm. Percy asks about Grover. Annabeth says that he is still at camp. Percy asks if Grover had any luck finding Pan, and Annabeth fidgets with her necklace, which is her nervous tell. Mm -hmm. So clearly, that means it's not going well. She just says, you'll see, which mm -hmm. is never an answer you want to any question ever. <laughs> I'm frustrated with Annabeth in this chapter. I'm like, give me more information, please. She's clearly gone to She's camp angry. twice for mm -hmm. Chiron to give her lessons on burying the lead. I think those were the two... Those were the two <laughs> meetings. So Percy then calls his mom on a cell phone, despite the monster concerns of a cell phone, to let her know what's up. She doesn't pick up. He leaves a voicemail. I'm a little worried. Mm -hmm. Like, right off the bat, is Sally okay? Like, <laughs> Sally feels like the kind of mom to, like, always answer or call back immediately. Well, her son's high school just blew up. Maybe she's not home right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe maybe, maybe she's on the phone with Paul. Like, what, what, what happened? Oh, Percy. <laughs> but he ends this voicemail by telling Sally to tell Paul that he's sorry, which is really sweet. Mm -hmm. But I'm still a little worried about Paul because there's a chance that he's evil and I'm not happy about that chance. <laughs> So Annabeth and Percy ride in silence until they reach Long Island. Percy looks at Rachel Elizabeth Dare's phone number that was written on his arm, and he's tempted to call her to see if she can tell him anything about what the Empusai meant and why Kelly, not you, mm -hmm. but Kelly with an I, burst into flames. The worst Kelly. The worst Kelly. <laughs> Percy knows that monsters reform after time, but he's never had one give up that easily. She felt like she willingly let Percy defeat her, and then she burst into flames, which is also different and new for a defeated monster. So he is questioning whether or not she was actually defeated slash destroyed. Right. But then he reads the room and says, maybe I won't call 
this girl who Annabeth caught <laughs> writing her phone number on my hand while Annabeth's sitting here with Annabeth's phone. Yeah. So he correctly <laughs> yeah, reads the room. Yeah, thankfully he didn't make the worst possible decision <laughs> ever if he wanted any sort of future chance of dating Annabeth. I know, but he's a teenage boy. Who knows what he's going to do? Yeah, teenage boys. We're not the brightest of the bunch. <laughs> so they finally arrive at Camp Half-Blood, which I can only assume was a $7,000 taxi. Yeah. I cannot imagine the bill. Yeah, Annabeth hands him a wad of a cash. A wad of cash. An unknown and, amount. Yeah, what's funny is the narrator like kind of makes it seem like, oh, maybe she overpaid him because it was just a wad of cash. And I was like, honestly, that might have been the bill. Yeah. This is a really far ride. Yeah. They get to Camp Half-Blood. They see the guardian dragon at the tree, who now has a name. Yeah. Annabeth greets the guardian dragon as Peleus. I will have to ask. Dr. Moya if that's any sort of anything. Mm -hmm. But we do know that Peleus has doubled in size. He's now a 12-foot-long dragon mm -hmm. instead of a 6-foot-long dragon. Percy notes that everything looks in order at Camp Half-Blood, but the vibes are just off. There's tension in the air as if Camp Half-Blood and Half-Blood Hill is holding its breath, waiting for something bad to happen. So they head into the valley, and the camp is under full summer swing. You've got campers training. You've got satyrs playing pipes. You've got a chariot race between two of the cabins underway. And then you have kids in the lake fighting a large orange sea serpent, which I thought was surprising, but maybe could answer the question, what was that random sea serpent on the cover of the UK edition of The Sea of Monsters? <laughs> I haven't seen it. It's just a picture of like a red sea dragon. Hmm. And I read the whole book pretty intensely. I have no idea who it's supposed to be. <laughs> like I did read this book over the course of months. And I'm like, who is that? Who is this? <laughs> so maybe this is finally our answer. You haven't observed the cover of this book, right? Like you try to like kind of glaze over looking at too right. many details. Yeah, I try not to do it because some of the elements of the cover can be spoilery. Mm -hmm. Thankfully, the books that I have, the first edition paperbacks, mm -hmm. do a pretty good job of having very vague stuff. So I have seen the cover of the one that we have, mm -hmm. and I just feel like I see Percy with a sword in a maze, and I was like, yeah, I got that from Battle of the <laughs> Labyrinth, so <laughs> I feel like that's okay. And then same kind of thing with Sea of Monsters. It was like there was a boat and a cyclops, and I was like, gathered that as well. <laughs> so they do a good job of not spoiling it, but some of the other covers are very bad. Like I did see, and after finishing it, The Titan's Curse, the UK one is like a zombie on the Golden Gate Bridge. Like, come on, that's rough. That's way too much. So yes, thankfully I pretty much have no idea what's going on. Yeah, since it's not my job to read them, I mm -hmm. like scrutinizing the covers before <laughs> I start and then like waiting for the scene that it describes to be read. Uh -huh. I, I really enjoy that part. But this one, Okay, never mind. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you can talk about it with them at never the merch mind, table at intermission. Yeah, we'll have or our something. conversations yeah. at the back. You can later. have spoiler <laughs> chat at the merch table. <laughs> Annabeth says that she needs to talk to Clarice. Narrator Percy says, "Quote: I stared at her as if she had just said, I need to eat a large, smelly boot.' <laughs> Which, yeah, I mean, they're not necessarily friends, mm -hmm. not necessarily as big of enemies as Percy and Clarice are, but still mm -hmm. surprising." Percy asks why, and then as the narrator, he explains that Clarice bullies Percy, and that Clarice's dad wants Percy dead, and Clarice wants to beat him up whenever possible, but then he ends this description by saying, but other than that, she's just great. <laughs> Annabeth tells Percy that they have been working on something, and she'll see Percy later. He asks what it is, but then she pulls a full Chiron and just says, Nothing in response to what he asked her. She just says, I'll tell Chiron you're here. And then she mentions that Chiron will want to see Percy before the hearing. And Percy asks, what hearing? And she just leaves. Runs and away. then Percy says, yeah, great talking with you too. <laughs> 
So Percy then goes into camp. He greets some friends. He sees the stoles hot wiring the camp SUVs, which now answers my question from the last book. How did Thalia know how to hot wire a car? The uh, answer, yep. the stoles. <laughs> Should have seen that one coming. Also sees Selina riding on her Pegasus. There's no sign of Grover, but Percy then enters the sword arena because it's where he likes to go when he's in a bad mood. And it's because he feels like he understands swordplay. Mm -hmm. I can only imagine he gets off his teen angst. Did you ever have a place that you would go when you're angry? I used to longboard around Rice's campus, the inner loop, when mm. I was grumpy. I would put on Sleigh Bells the band, not Sleigh Bells the instrument. <laughs> and I would like longboard to Infinity Guitars and be like, Grr, grumble, grumble. <laughs> I thought you were gonna ask me if I ever did sword fighting. Did you? Which I totally did. Yet? I mean, like we had like extendable lightsabers as gotcha, kids gotcha. and like, gladiator armor and a sword for some reason that we would play sword fights with. We like definitely had more Did you ever fights. defeat David who's in the oh, crowd? Oh yeah, all the time. David, I'm the, <laughs> I'm the reigning champ. He doesn't have a microphone so he can't contest that. I won every battle. <laughs> Did you ever have an angsty place that you would go to, you know, like kind of like how Kevin Bacon went to the abandoned warehouse in Footloose, the greatest scene in cinema history? <laughs> I was in cross country up through high school and I mm. would run if I ever felt like I... Oh wanted to get away. It didn't matter where I was running, but I would just run. One time at a track meet, I was supposed to run the 800, which is two laps around, but I was feeling real angsty that day. So for my warm up, I ran like two miles and my coach was really pissed because I wore myself out before the race. I was like an angsty freshman. I didn't know you did the 800. I did the 800. I hated in the 800. School. It is the worst it's race. It's the worst. It's I the worst. I remember very distinctly, and my sister Meg is in the crowd and she'll be in, in the second act, but I remember being very excited because my middle school didn't actually have a track team. There was just like one track meet a year. So you would kind of just do it for like a couple of weeks. They basically would just have all the kids do every event and then see what you were good at. And then I happened to be really good at the 800 just because it was like, I'm not really a sprinter, not really like a long distance. It's kind of like right in the middle. But it is just the most tiring race because you mm -hmm. basically just run a 400 and then do it and again. again. Yeah. And you have to keep that same kind of pace. Mm -hmm. And I remember being in, you know, I was like sixth grade, seventh grade, whatever. I was so excited. And I was at Megan's like track practice. And I think it was Justin Chikumba, maybe. But I was like so excited, like, Justin, I'm doing a track. And he was this like track god. <laughs> and he was like, oh yeah, what event are you doing? And I was like, I'm doing the 800. And he goes, oh man, I'm really sorry. <laughs> so it was like a really tough one. It was a burden to be good at it. Because they're just it. so tiring. And it also, and I'm glad my dad's here so I can finally apologize to this in, in a room full of people. When I finally ran the 800 in the meet, I was so tired by the last lap. My dad was like encouraging me on, be like, go, Mike, go. And I was so tired and so angry that I was like, I said something grumpy, like, shut up, dad, I know, or whatever. <laughs> and it's one of those, like, you know, every month or so, like in the shower, just be like, oh, big regret of my life. Why did I do this? My dad was being so nice and encouraging. I hated running it. So like I ran cross country and they would merge with track and do track events as well mm -hmm. and I hated my coach would make me run the 800 and I came in last every oh, single Oh, so you weren't time. good at it no, even. I oh, suck. man. <laughs> I was good and, at it. <laughs> and the thing about it, too, is like when you run a mile or you run two miles in cross country, you're usually out in like the woods somewhere. So there's not a stadium full of people watching how tired and how bad you are. <laughs> so at least you can like feel like secure in the trees like nobody can see the pain on your face you run the 800 you're in last place and everybody's watching you i hated it and i asked her to take me out of it every week she made me run it every week i finally got second to last and then she took me out of it hey ended on a good note Yes. And for anyone saying that this tangent wasn't relevant, the podcast is called The Newest Olympian, so we're yes. on brand. It's okay. Anyway, Percy Jackson. There's no sign of Grover. 
Percy enters the sword arena to get off his angst, but to his surprise, there is a giant hellhound inside. It is bigger than your usual hellhound, which is already quite large. Percy says that it is bigger than a tank. Of course, Percy knows exactly how big tanks are. <laughs> it's lying on its belly, and it is contently chewing up a training dummy. Percy keeps silent, but then approaches sneakily for an attack because he thinks this thing is evil. He uncaps Riptide, and he charges with an attack, but then his sword is blocked. The hellhound is startled, barks, and backs off, and the blocker, who is a gray-haired man in Greek armor, I was guessing, is this Achilles? I was wrong. He calls for a truce. Percy shouts, what do you mean this is a hellhound? And the man says that she's harmless and her name is Mrs. O'Leary, which is a great dog name. Wonderful. And then also a great patron name. One of the patrons of TNO made their name Mrs. O'Leary. And I was like, oh cool, someone's mom listens to the pod. <laughs> Did not realize a very, very subtle patron name, which is good. I very, very much appreciate it. I'm so glad you've met Mrs. O'Leary now. I love her. Okay, I'm excited. It's, it's a brief meeting, but mm -hmm. I'm, I'm a fan so far. So the swordsman plays some get the Greek with the dog, yep. <laughs> kind of fetch with a giant dummy, if you will. And narrator Percy describes this swordsman as someone in his 50s. He's got short gray hair and a trimmed beard, and he's in pretty good shape. And he's wearing black mountain climbing pants and a bronze breastplate over an orange Camp Half-Blood shirt. He has a strange purple blotch on his neck that Percy can't decide whether it is a birthmark or a tattoo, but whatever it is, it is definitely a reference that is going over my head. <laughs> that makes it clear of whoever this guy is. This guy says that Mrs. O'Leary is his pet and that he only stepped in because he didn't want to get her hurt or scared. Percy asks who he is, and he makes Percy first promise to not attack him if he puts his sword away. <laughs> Percy begrudgingly agrees, and then this guy identifies himself as Quintus. Mm -hmm. No idea here. Again, off to chat with Dr. Moy to figure mm -hmm. out what this guy's deal is. Mm -hmm. Percy introduces himself, shakes his hand, and then notes that this guy has scratchy, rough skin. I don't know if this will be important or if it was just flavor text, the eternal struggle of me reading this book. Is this just a description or is this a, a seed planted that I should know in the future? Percy then apologizes for trying to attack his dog. He then asks how Quintus got a hellhound for a pet. Quintus says it's a long story, including a death and lots of giant chew toys, which is very interesting. Mm -hmm and he reveals that he is the new sword instructor. Was there an old sword instructor? Was it Luke? I mean, I guess it was like Luke. unofficially Luke? Yeah, that I was the only so. thing, but it didn't really mm -hmm. feel like there was a dedicated one, like Chiron is for sure the archery guy, mm. but it didn't feel like they had an adult that taught swords, but maybe, I don't know, maybe they did a new practice seeing that the last guy is trying to take over the world. They're yeah. like, uh, maybe we should get an adult in the room. Uh-huh, yeah, no, I think it was unofficially Luke, mm -hmm. unless I'm wrong there, but I think unofficially he was kind of taking over. Got it. Also, I imagine Miss O'Leary as... Mrs. O'Leary. She's married. The Mrs. O'Leary. I imagine her like Clifford the Big Red Dog, oh, but like okay. all black. Ooh, very cute. In my mind, she's also a cartoon. She's not a real dog. <laughs> <laughs> so he is the new sword instructor, and he is also helping out Chiron while Mr. D is away. And I was like, oh, okay, is the hearing some sort of thing with the Olympians? Are they doing something at Olympus? Are they finally punishing Ares? Not the case. Percy asks why Mr. D is away. Quintus says that he's gone to visit some friends to make sure that they are on the right side. Says that he shouldn't reveal more than that. And Chiron, I just imagine him in the distance, like nodding, you know, with a, a slow smirk of, yes, of course, can't reveal too much quite yet. So clearly he's taught Quint as well. Percy is happy that Mr. D is gone, which normally makes sense, but I feel like they had such progress in their last meeting that I would think that Percy might be less anti 
Mr. D, a little bit bigger of a fan of his. But what I soon realized after this is that Percy then kind of explains why Mr. D doesn't like him. So I feel like this was just an excuse to kind of let the folks who either forgot or didn't Dead read the first three four. books. Yeah. No, yeah, which, I, wild. I, if I ever wrote a book series, the intro would just be like, just get the first three books. I don't need to explain this for other people. A shipment of crates then arrive. They say, quote, Triple G Ranch, fragile, this end up. And then in smaller text underneath, open with care, Triple G Ranch is not responsible for property damage, maiming, or excruciatingly painful deaths. My first thought was, are they then responsible for not that painful deaths? <laughs> but I really want to know what is in these, where is Triple G Ranch, what is Triple G Ranch? I'm intrigued. Thank you for smiling and saying nothing. <laughs> Your trap door has not been activated. <laughs> Percy asks, what are these? Quintus says that it is a surprise for a training session tomorrow night and that Percy will love it. Percy isn't so sure due to the whole excruciatingly painful death warning, but mm -hmm. we will have to see. Quintus then plays fetch with Mrs. O'Leary using a bronze shield as a frisbee, which is a fantastic vibe. And then he goes full old man on porch and says that demigods these days need more challenges, says that camps like this didn't exist when he was a boy. And Percy <laughs> is floored that he's a half-blood that is still alive. Mm -hmm. And Quintus kind of laughs at this saying, some of us do survive into adulthood, you know. Not all of us are the subject of terrible prophecies. Mm -hmm. So of course, Percy asks, oh, you know about my prophecy? And Quintus says that he's heard some things. And narrator Percy says, cool, I wanted to ask what few things, but just then Chiron clip-clopped into the arena classic. saying, Percy, there you are. And of course he did. Classic, and classic, you classic. Cannot, you cannot convince me otherwise that Chiron wasn't creeping behind something, <laughs> waiting like, oh, can't let him say too much. Da -da -da -da. Oh, Percy, how's it going? <laughs> Totally was doing this. <laughs> so Percy thinks that Chiron has just come from archery practice because he's got a bow and quiver slung over his shoulder and he is wearing a number one centaur shirt. The merch that Love people it. wear in these books is always so good and Disney better get on it because oh, yeah. there's so many good opportunities. Mm -hmm. Even later in this chapter, what Grover is wearing, a wonderful shirt. It's so good. Chiron seems to generally be in good spirits based on the tone in his voice, but Percy can see an uneasy look in his eyes, and he asks Quintus if he can have a moment alone with Percy. So as they walk away, Percy says to Chiron that Quintus seems kind of, and then Chiron finishes his sentence by saying, mysterious, hard to read, aka Chiron's favorite things. <laughs> Percy. I found him just for you, Percy. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Percy agrees. Chiron calls him a very qualified half-blood and an excellent swordsman, but mm -hmm. we know why Chiron hired him. He's mysterious <laughs> and hard to read. He begins to say, I just wish I understood, but then changes his mind and doesn't finish the sentence because of course, Chiron, of course. <laughs> He cuts to the Annabeth chase and mentions to Percy that Annabeth told him Percy ran into Empusai, and Percy then shares the whole story directly to Chiron. Mm -hmm. Chiron says that the more powerful monsters can do that sort of voluntary defeat, burst into flames type maneuver, and he does confirm that Kelly with an eye is not dead, she has just escaped. Chiron says that it's not good that the she-demons, the she-mans, are stirring. <laughs> But Percy asks, what are they doing at good high school? And he asks, was it just for me? Chiron says that that is possible, and it's amazing that Percy escaped because their deception powers are very, very strong. Percy credits Rachel Elizabeth Dare. 
Chiron finds it ironic that a mortal saved him, but regardless, they owe her a debt. Mm -hmm. I'm very intrigued to see what her repayment is. <laughs> I have no idea what they would offer to a mortal. Yeah, has he written down her number off his hand yet? Oh, uh, do you mean has he rubbed it off? No, like has he written it down so that when oh. it rubs off, like he's out here sweating, swordsing. <laughs> Is that's just going to forget it? I don't that's know. That's a pretty good thought. He yeah. should write it down. Yeah. He should. All right. Good note. If that does become a plot point later where he tries to call her and he didn't have it, he will look quite foolish. I literally don't remember. No, we'll so. have to see. Yeah. Good call. Good call. Chiron says they will talk about the Empusai's threat of an attack at Camp Half-Blood later, but for now, they should go to the woods to see Grover. And at first, I was very excited because that meant confirmed. Grover is here. Grover is in this book. I like when Grover is in the book. But immediately after, I learned, oh no, because it's for his formal hearing by the Council of Cloven Elders to decide his fate. And I clearly am a silver linings type person because I wrote in my notes, I hope it's not as bad as it sounds. <laughs> and it wasn't as bad as it could be. It wasn't like they were talking right. about literally a life or death thing, but to Grover, it basically was. It feels that way to him. Yeah, so, yeah. understandably so. Percy gets on Chiron's back as they go into the woods and they go through a route unfamiliar to Percy. He thought he was an expert in the woods because of the Capture the Flag games, but they go in a new way and they come upon a group of satyrs in a circle with Grover in the middle facing three older satyrs and they are sitting on topiary thrones of bushes, <laughs> which does sound like an insult to say, oh, you topiary thrones of bushes. <laughs> but it also sounds like a great place to sit because it said they were made out of rose bushes. I don't know how comfortable it is to sit say, on plants. but sound comfortable. <laughs> it doesn't sound comfortable, but it sounds cool, you know? Yeah, sounds cool. But also, do they wear pants? It sounds mighty uncomfortable. Hmm, they at least wear shirts. Yeah, they wear shirts. I don't know if they only wear pants when they're trying to pass as humans. Yeah. Or if they run around with their goat legs. Hmm. I don't know. But it sounds uncomfortable either way. Yeah, not necessarily the greatest, but sometimes mm -hmm. you have to make sacrifices to look cool. CNC cool. also high heels. <laughs> now. So Grover is telling them a story and he's looking very nervous. His acne looks a little worse. His horns are a little bit bigger, but other than that, Percy thinks that he looks pretty similar, noting that satyrs age half the speed of humans. Percy realizes though that he is now taller than Grover, which is interesting. And mm -hmm. I guess in my brain, I had always imagined Grover being a little bit taller than him. So to have that dynamic change was a little surprising to mm -hmm. me. Yeah. Now, Annabeth, Clarice, and some unknown girl are in attendance as well. And Chiron drops Percy off next to them. Clarice has her hair tied back in a camo bandana, and she looks even more ripped than before, which is cool. Awesome. Glad to know Clarice is thriving. Yeah. <laughs> Are you a big Clarice fan as big workout nut, Kelly? I, I imagine her as the buff sister in... Um, oh, Louisa in yeah, Encanto. Yeah, Louisa, yeah. Mm -hmm. I imagine her kind of as like the buff sister who takes a lot onto her shoulders. But I won't say too much about my feelings on her. Okay. Yeah. Well, I look forward to Clarice's musical number in <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> chapter 12 or whatever. <laughs> Narrative Prissy says about Clarice, quote, she glared at me and muttered punk, which must have meant she was in a good mood. Usually she says hello by trying to kill me. And again, I imagined Aries in the distance shedding a single tear that his daughter called Percy punk, his favorite thing to call Percy. <laughs> She's just taken after dad. Annabeth is consoling the mystery girl, and she is in tears, this mystery girl. She says that this hearing is going terribly. Percy describes her as petite, with an elfish face and wispy amber hair. Annabeth says that Grover will be okay, and then we learn that this girl's name is Juniper, and then she looks at Percy and mouths Grover's girlfriend to him. 
which I was very surprised mm-hmm. in just six months. Look at Grover. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Moving quickly. I thought I had forgotten something and that we knew about this earlier. But yeah, this is Mm-mm. this is the first we're hearing that Grover has a girlfriend. I need to know their whole story. How did they meet? What's the meet cute? Mm-hmm. What's the whole deal? Percy is surprised, but then he analyzes Juniper a bit more closely and he can tell that she's a tree nymph. So at least that makes sense in terms of the satyr tree nymph dynamic. She's a dryad, that's on brand for satyrs. So we cut back to the hearing where an elder interrupts Grover to ask, do you seriously expect us to believe this? But Grover alerts him that this is the truth. So he would hope that he does believe them. Mm This elder, Selenus, then turns to the others to mutter something under his breath, and Chiron then lines up near them since he is an honorary member of the council. Mm-hmm. Narrative Percy says, quote, the elders didn't look very impressive. They reminded me of the goats in a petting zoo. Mm-hmm. Huge bellies, sleepy expressions, and glazed eyes that couldn't see past the next handful of goat chow. I wasn't sure why Grover seemed so nervous. <laughs> and like, I get that they don't look intimidating, but they are the head of the Council of Cloven Elders. Mm -hmm. Like, they are the most important satyrs, so... Right, they have power. They may not look powerful, but they have a certain amount of power allotted to them, I guess. Right. Yeah. Yeah, but I don't know. I'm not afraid of Mitch McConnell beating me up in a fight, but, like, (laughs) I am afraid of him finding some random thing to throw me in jail for 80 years for. You know, they don't always look threatening if they have power. (laughs) Now, here's where it all comes down to. Selenus reveals that Grover is on trial because for six months, he's been making, quote, scandalous claims Mm -hmm. that he heard the wild god Pan speak. And I was confused. Why would you be upset at this? They want to hear Pan. Why would they not be excited about this? But we learn a little bit more Mm -hmm. in a little bit. Grover replies that it's the truth. And another elder, Marone, yells impudence, which I definitely know what that word meant. I didn't have to Google it in case you guys don't know. (laughs) It means arrogance. (laughs) So Chiron tells Marone to be patient. Marone says that he's had it up to his horns with this nonsense, which is great. But grudgingly, you got to give it to him. (laughs) That's a very fun turn of phrase. But I don't like how he ends it. So immediately after having to hand it to him, I actually don't have to. I took it back because he ends it with saying as if the wild god would speak to to him with him in italics. Mm -hmm. Very rude. Very unnecessary. Very rude. I think that what we're learning here is that while these, it's three of them, right? Yes. These three may be in a position of power. They seem kind of out of touch with what's currently going on and kind of unbelieving of people they're supposed to be. What? People in power and government out of touch out of with time? reality? What? I've never heard that before. <laughs> Shout out to 80-year-old Nancy Pelosi. So Juniper gets enraged at that line. Good girlfriend. This mm-hmm. reminded me of something you would do because oftentimes you get more upset than I am at people who are angry. potentially rude to me. Yeah, I don't like it. <laughs> so she's don't be w- rude to Mike, I don't like it. <laughs> she's a winner in my book. Clarice holds her back saying that it's the wrong fight and that she should wait. Percy is shocked both by Clarice stepping in to stop a fight since she is the daughter of the god of war and... Also, he is surprised by the fact that her and Annabeth appear to be working together. Again, this is a recurring theme here. Mm-hmm. Selenus continues saying that they gave Grover six months of travel to return with some sort of proof, and he's come back with nothing. So at least they tried to get him to see something, and they didn't immediately think he was lying to them. But six months for something that people have been searching for for years is just not 
a long enough amount of time. That is exactly what I'm about to say. It's like, you gave him six months. You guys haven't been able to find him in, what is it, hundreds of years, thousands of years? Something. However long it's been, six months is not comparably a long time. No, definitely not enough for him to find this. Mm -hmm. So I feel like, sure, you gave him something, but you didn't give him enough. Right. Grover pleads for more time, and the elder in the middle, Linnaeus, says, nothing, you have found nothing, which felt very Willy Wonka of me. If you lose, you get nothing. <laughs> Chiron leans in and says something to the satyrs. They don't look pleased, but then they kind of turn back to Grover and say that they are going to give him one more chance, but it's just one week, which is not enough time. I also want to be like, what have you found? Nothing? You right, found yeah. nothing too? Wow, big surprise. Mm -hmm. Probably good that you weren't in this no, meeting. <laughs> you would have been giving them just a little bit of sass. <laughs> Now, the one week of it all might not make sense for giving him enough time to find Pan and come up with proof, but it's definitely enough time to have a book in the Percy Jackson series mm. since they all last about a week. So it did feel like, ah, yes, the plot of the book has been laid forth mm -hmm. now. We currently know what the timeline is. Mm -hmm. Grover says it's not enough time, but Selena says, quote, one more week, Master Underwood, and then if you cannot prove your claims, it will be time for you to pursue another career, something to suit your dramatic talents, puppet theater, perhaps, or tap dancing. Aww. Puppet theater doesn't seem on brand. Tap dancing for a guy with hooves, though, feels a little more online. Feels so. like he's got built-in tap shoes ready to go. Yeah, not the worst fit. He might be great at that. Maybe. <laughs> but Grover begs not to lose his license because he's worked so hard to get it, and it's his life's goal. It's his dream. It's his dream job. He doesn't want to lose it. But then Selenus just ends the hearing without addressing his concerns. He calls for them to begin their noonday meal, which is a wild way to say lunch. <laughs> this meal consists of scraps and compost and trash and all the sorts of food that satyrs would eat for noontime meal. Noontime. But after the food is all about, the circle of satyrs then breaks up and they go and they start to eat the food. Grover walks dejectedly towards the group of friends and he's wearing a faded blue t-shirt with a picture of a satyr on it that says, got hooves, which is fantastic. <laughs> Except why was it blue? The got milk stuff was always black with white oh, text. That's a good point. You know, it didn't... It didn't oh, feel exactly there. Not to nitpick, but come on, Rick. <laughs> Grover is absolutely dejected, so much so he doesn't give his trademark hug to Percy. He doesn't even shake Percy's hand, Aww. which felt really sad. Juniper immediately comes to Grover's defense, like the good little hype woman that she is. <laughs> Very on brand for Kelly. This Super is something brand. you certainly would have done. Clarice suggests that there is another option, but Juniper says that she won't let Grover do it, and then Grover, with an ashen look on his face, says that he'll have to think about it, but they don't even know where to look. And I was like, all right, they're definitely talking about the plot, but it's only chapter two, so it's too early. We can't know yet. No, we'll <laughs> learn at the end of chapter four, I'm assuming. <laughs> now, a conch horn sounds in the distance. Annabeth says to Percy that she'll fill him in later, which is classic Annabeth fashion, to fill in Percy. And I'm assuming this will be the plot reveal in chapter three or chapter four. Mm -hmm. But they have to go because inspection is starting. And I didn't know what inspection was, but thankfully, narrator Percy anticipated my concerns and explained inspection. <laughs> Says that senior counselors come around in the afternoons with a papyrus scroll checklist. The best cabin gets the first shower hour, aka guaranteed hot water, and the worst gets KP, which we all know stands for Kitchen Patrol based on the thousands of emails that I got <laughs> when I said, what does KP stand for? <laughs> they get Kitchen Patrol after dinner. 
Percy identifies the problem, which is that he is 100% of the Poseidon cabin, and he's yes. not what you would call neat. And that is selling it short, because when he later describes his messiness, it is quite rough. Mm -hmm. The cleaning harpies only come through on the last day of summer, so my cabin was probably just the way I'd left it on winter break. My candy wrappers and chip bags still on my bunk. My armor for capture the flag lying in pieces all around the cabin. Percy, come on. That is gross. I mean... Candy wrappers in your bed? Come on, dude. That is a step way too far. At I least mean, put them on the floor. <laughs> I was about to say, not to put you on blast, but I always compare you to Percy. I don't have food I, in my bed. I woke up yesterday to an open bag of crackers and an orange peel next to the bed. <laughs> next to the bed. Not in the bed. And I said, Michael, and you said, I don't understand what's the problem with crackers. <laughs> it was late. I was hungry. Needed a little snack. I brought them upstairs, put them next to the bed. Just figured I'd dispose of them in the morning. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> I think it's fine. Not to... <laughs> Percy rushes to his cabin. The Demeter kids are thriving and they're making fresh flowers grow in their cabin on top of all of this. He thinks that that's unfair. The Hermes cabin is struggling like Percy is about to struggle, or at least he thinks he will. <laughs> they're just stashing dirty clothes under their bed. Percy also thinks- Also sounds like the way that you clean. I don't do that. <laughs> you know I take my laundry very seriously. I would never crumple up clothes and shove them under the bed. Find some weird piles of things around our apartment every now and then. Yeah, but it's not dirty laundry piles. It's not. It's semi-dirty laundry It's piles. important because I've it's worn the shirt for a little bit and I want to wear it again. It's not fully dirty. And of course, then it belongs, you know, crumpled up on the ground it's while not, it waits to be reworn. Not crumpled. <laughs> Usually folded. Placed on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> while Percy is rushing to his cabin, he sees that Selena is the inspector and he's upset because despite her being his friend and her being really nice, she is a stickler for cleanliness. So she is the worst possible inspector to have inspection duty for this day. He gets into his cabin planning to do another rush job, just like the Hermes cabin is doing. But then we see that Tyson is there. Yay. His wonderful Cyclops half-brother is there. And thankfully, he's already cleaning, which is Perfect. really nice. Yeah, I didn't expect that necessarily from Tyson, but it's wonderful. Narrator Percy says, quote, if you've ever been charged by an enthusiastic Cyclops, because he ran up to give him a big hug, wearing a flowered apron and rubber cleaning gloves, I'm telling you, it'll wake you up quick. <laughs> Love it. Percy gets crunched by the hug. He describes Tyson in his whole outfit, saying that he's wearing triple XL jeans. So officially, that's just the way Percy says that things are big. Triple XL, this is now the third time he's said that oh, about yeah. something. Originally, I was like, how does he know the sizes of his friends? But <laughs> I think it's just a way that he says get big. get all their tags before yeah. he... <laughs> so he can buy Annabeth in her small cardigan. <laughs> Tyson asks if Percy is okay, and if he has not been eaten by monsters. Percy confirms that he has not been eaten by monsters by showing him that he does have both of his arms and both of his legs still intact. Tyson nice. is very excited after this reveal. <laughs> Tyson says, yay, now we can eat peanut butter sandwiches and ride fish ponies. We can fight monsters and see Annabeth and make things go boom. And Percy <laughs> thinks to himself, well, I hope he doesn't mean all at the same time. <laughs> but sure, bud. <laughs> All in all, Percy just can't keep himself from smiling because Tyson is so enthusiastic about everything. And I was reading this with an ear to ear smile as well. It's just yes. so nice, so sweet. I love Tyson. I love when we get some Tyson chapters. Yeah, I'm glad he's back. I mm -hmm. missed him in the last book. 
So Percy begins to say that they have to focus on the inspection, but then he realizes that Tyson has already cleaned the entire cabin. The floor is swept, the bed is made, the fountain is cleaned. There are undersea plants on the windowsill, like anemones and stuff like that, that look cooler than the Demeter plants. Mm -hmm. So pretty awesome stuff. I'm laughing in my head because this is how you approach life as well. You're like, get back five minutes before we're about to have guests over. You're like, oh my gosh, we need to clean. We need to go. Oh, wow. I don't know how everything got cleaned already. This is incredible. Usually, <laughs> Look I'm, at that. usually I am rushing back from doing something else <laughs> in prep for the guests. Perhaps. I'm not just out and about doing nothing. <laughs> Wake up five minutes before your parents are supposed to show up. Kelly, we need to clean things. I'm like, yes, I've been cleaning since yesterday. <laughs> I don't like this whole you having the microphone thing. <laughs> Time to give the microphone to somebody else, huh? Let's get I feel like I need an audio kill them. switch on here <laughs> to mute your thing. <laughs> now, all Percy can say to Tyson is, Tyson, the cabin looks amazing. And then Tyson asks, do you see the fish ponies that he put on the ceiling? And there are mini bronze hippocampi on wires in the ceiling looking like they are swimming through the air. Percy is shocked that Tyson could make something so delicate with such large hands. And Tyson even fixed Percy's shield that got wrecked in a previous book, which is really nice. Mm -hmm. Percy can't even think of how to thank him, but Selina enters and says, well, I had my doubts, but you do clean up nicely, Percy. I'll remember that. And then she winks and leaves the room is she flirting with Percy? <laughs> Didn't expect this from Selena. Also thought it was rude that she immediately credited Percy if she already yeah. knew that he doesn't necessarily clean particularly That's well. That's true, yeah. Like she just went in, Tyson, who's wearing rubber cleaning gloves and an apron? And then she goes, this guy did the cleaning. <laughs> so, I don't know. Maybe it's because he was sweating so much from rushing that she was like, ah, it looks like he's just been cleaning a whole bunch. Slightly rude here from Selena. But I think this is a perfect spot mm -hmm. to end the first act, and at least for the folks listening, potentially end the episode of The Newest Olympian. But yeah, give it up for Kelly for uh, being my guest here to talk about this portion of this chapter. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Of course. Hello and welcome to the ad roll of the Labyrinth Tia Now New Zealand edition. The internet is bad, but the hiking in the nature is good. A true escape, though I am worried about uploading this episode, but we'll figure that out later. Let's talk about some fun announcements in regards to the podcast. First off, another reminder that on December 17th, we will be doing a TNO and Potterless Live show in Auckland, New Zealand. Super stoked about that. If you want to get tickets, you can go to thenewestolympian.com slash live. And to make sure you know what we're going to be covering, make sure you're following Newest Olympian on on either Twitter or Instagram. That's where I will be posting once we have it settled, what we're covering. I got to keep prepping for the live show episode, read exactly the chapter, see what we're going to cover, but I'll post about it. We're at News Olympian on Twitter and Instagram. In terms of this particular episode that you're listening to after the mid-roll break is over, there will be a couple Q&A questions from the live show. My guest for the second act of the live show was my sister Megan, so if you hear a non-Kelly voice, that is who you're hearing. I only kept in the TNO-related questions. Most of those questions were Harry Potter-based since my sister has not yet read the Percy Jackson books, but hopefully we will remedy that and we can have her on an episode of TNO. So there's just a couple of questions. I know that this will end up being a shorter episode, but don't worry because soon there will be the Melbourne episode which was a full TNO only live show. So that's going to be a beefy, chunky episode. So don't worry, we will make up for the shorter time here with a very, very juicy, hearty episode coming to you in a couple weeks time. 
Speaking of scheduling and things coming in weeks time, just another reminder that on Monday, December 26th, there will not be an episode of the newest Olympian just taking some time off for the holidays and to rest and recharge. But there will be something posted to the Potterless feed. So if you're not subscribed to Potterless, check out the Potterless feed. It's going to be a fun Harry Potter thing. And you can subscribe to that wherever you get your podcasts by searching for Potterless. It'll show up. And then we'll be back covering more of book four in the new year. If you're ever wondering what the schedule is going to be, if you want to try to read along with the show, I always update it at thenewsolympian.com slash about. Now, earlier in this mid break, I talked about the internet being a bit dodgy. The internet is so bad right now that I can't even pull up Patreon to see who the folks that joined the Patreon most recently were. So I will thank you all in the next episode. But I do want to shout out all the folks who are supporting on Patreon. There are a whole bunch of goodies on Patreon that you can get access to bonus episodes, director's commentary, monthly live streams, the video replay of Steven and I playing Hades the video game, which we're going to try to do again in the new year. Lots of fun stuff over at thenewsolympian.com slash Patreon. Thank you to everyone who is supporting. The only thing I do have is a name correction. I had been mispronouncing the name of one of our highest tier Ultra God patrons. If you listen to the end credits, you'll know that I thank the Ultra Gods at the end of every single episode. So my apologies to Rodith Kalna, who I had been mispronouncing the name of for weeks on end. But thankfully, Rodith reached out and said, hey, you've been pronouncing my name wrong. Here's how you say it. Sorry, I didn't reach out earlier. If this is the case for you, if I pronounced your name wrong at any point for your individual shout out, or if you're an Ultra God and I keep saying your name wrong in every single episode, please shoot me a message on Patreon so I can correct that. Now, if you're all caught up on the News Olympian and you're looking for another podcast to listen to, I make a whole bunch of podcasts and I'm very biased, but I think they're very good. And I think you'll enjoy them because I make the podcasts as well. So there's a similar vibe to TNO. One of the shows that I think you would enjoy that should be making a comeback pretty soon is Meddling Adults. Meddling Adults is a game show for charity where I serve as the host and I have guests compete to solve children's mysteries for charity. These mysteries will be from classics like Scooby-Doo, Shelby Woo, and Nancy Drew. There's also non-rhyming things such as Encyclopedia Brown. But I recap the mysteries. The guests try to guess who is responsible for the dastardly deeds and whoever gets the most correct earns money for a charity of their choosing. It's very fun. It's very silly and it's for a good cause. You can listen to Meddling Adults wherever you get your podcast by searching for Meddling Adults or going to our website, meddlingadults.com. And yes, season four is in the works. Some recent changes happened to where I can finally get the episodes out there. So I will be posting those hopefully in the very near future. And before we wrap up here, you're going to hear words from a few sponsors who make it feasible for me to be a full-time podcaster. Some of these ads will be read by me, others of them won't. The ones that are not read by me are inserted locally, so if you live in Tay and Out, don't be surprised if you hear an ad for, a, I hope, a better internet company than the place we're staying at. That would be great. If that's one of the sponsors, please let me know. And speaking of letting me know about sponsors, if you ever get a weird ad from a company that seems like it's not the right vibe of the show, please let me know so I can contact my hosting platform to get that blocked. I have key categories blocked, but sometimes things Things like gambling ads sneak through even though I have the category of gambling blocked. So if you hear a weird ad, either email me or reach out on social media. I then forward those to my hosting platform to make sure those all get blocked. But once those are complete, we'll get back to this episode of The New Olympian. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games. Hello. 
Let's see what questions we got in. Ooh, okay. Jaylene has four things here, but one of them is you and the fam should go to the Dallas Arboretum. You did your wedding at the Dallas Arboretum. So check, already been there. Uh, it was great. Yeah, we live in East Dallas, so it's like we frequent. It's a good place. Mm -hmm. Apparently, it is uh, currently filled with, and I quote, hella, in all caps, pumpkins. Is that true? Uh, a lot yeah, of pumpkins we, are going on? We actually, our anniversary is the end of October, so we got married in the hella pumpkin. <laughs> uh, th thank you. <laughs> but it's also, uh, if you were planning on doing that today, tickets are sold out. Ah. We drove by it on the way here, unfortunately. Mm, sad, sad, sad. Yeah. So one of the questions that I think you can answer, I don't know how into Greek God stuff you are, but... The Harry Potter question that Jaylene has asked is, who would Harry, Ron, and Hermione and Neville's Greek godly parents be? Oh, my God. Yeah. Her, I feel like Hermione would be Athena because yeah, all about that's wisdom. Like, that's that that's exactly, easy. I was like, okay, Hermione, <laughs> I, Athena, and then what? I yeah. don't know. <laughs> I, Harry, I would... Maybe just because of Percy Jackson, I would give Harry Poseidon just because of main character, main character feels kind of easy. Okay, that's fair. And, you know, Percy's a little sassy, Harry's a little sassy, like that kind of makes that. Checks out. Ron, just because of Arthur, I feel like Ron could be Hephaestus. Hephaestus is the god of, like, machinery and, like, tinkering and all that kind of stuff. So if we're going, like, you know, Ron's dad to Ron's god dad, maybe it could be Hephaestus since Arthur, as we've talked about, is yeah. very important for fixing things. Okay. Yeah. And then Neville, I'm trying to think of someone who was like, you know, he, he became brave, but you didn't really know. And it was kind of like but a But Neville's surprise. parents were actually awesome. They, Yeah, they were. They and, But maybe, so maybe his parents had godly parents. It's like, like Neville's parents were awesome. And then his grandmother oh, was like a nightmare. So yeah. he, you know, grew I, up the way he did. But. I'm, I'm realizing Neville's, aside from being like cool and brave and stuff, his whole thing was plants. So I feel like a plant god, like if you had like uh, like Demeter, Persephone, something uh, something in the plant department would probably be the answer there. All right, so here's gonna be the final question that I think is a very fun one, and it's very on brand. This is from Becky, who asks, in the spirit of Halloween, what couple's costumes do you think Harry and Ginny, Ron and Hermione, and Percy and Annabeth would wear? For Percy and Annabeth, I think I'm gonna do what I had said earlier on the News Olympian. One of the chapter titles was, I become Supreme Lord of the Bathroom. And I said that like a great costume idea, which you can steal, but you have to credit me and tell people to download the News Olympian over their podcast, is to go as the Supreme Lord of the Bathroom where you basically dress up as like King George from Hamilton. But it's like, you know, you've got like a toilet seat like around your neck and you know, your scepter is like a big scrub wand and you've like, your like floofy hair is made out of toilet paper rolls. So they could be like the Lord and the Lady the supreme lord and lady of the bathroom, I think would be really nice, good. Nice, what, nice. Do you have any ideas of a couple costume for Hermione and Ron or Harry I'm and Ginny? I'm thinking. I yeah. don't know yet. No. Because I don't know. I, Kelly and I did a couple's costume once where my friend Tim sewed me, not like a romp him, but basically he made me like a same pattern, like shorts, button down shirt and tie. So it's like all one same pattern. So it kind of looks like it, but it's all individual pieces. And we had extra fabric from it. So Kelly dressed like she was applying wallpaper and I was the wallpaper. That's nice. That was a fun couple's costume. I feel like... As far as Ron and Hermione goes, mm -hmm. Ron has no idea what the costume is. Sure. Hermione has already purchased and uh -huh. is like, this you're is what this. you're wearing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. I feel like Harry and Ginny would come up with something cute. Right. 
Either something cute if Ginny's in charge or Harry would be like, let's just both go as Quidditch players. <laughs> I feel like Ginny would dress up as Harry. Oh. And like, and Harry would dress up as like Voldemort or something. <laughs> that would be good. And then Ginny would totally like give Harry the tattoo that she said yeah. he had. And yeah, yeah, like, yeah. yeah, yeah. And she'd That's wear like good. a necklace that says like, I'm the chosen one. Right, yeah. She yeah. would really ham it up to like yeah. make, and she wouldn't show him it at all until like the last moment. Yeah. And then it'd be like, I have to wear it now, Harry. The, the party starts. <laughs> I think so then her yeah Hermione and Ron I do feel like Hermione would put a lot of work into it she would and it would either be like really intellectual or uh-huh. like so corny you know what I think would actually be really good and it would be funny because it could be like a fun conversation starter especially in the wizarding world what if they went as dentists because <laughs> her parents are she could have all the tools and stuff and they'd be like whoa I love your costume what is it <laughs> I'm like what a teeth healer. Yeah, what a I mean, what a wild thing for J.K. like to just play into the UK stereotype to where wizards have no idea what dentists are. Like, come on, J.K. So yeah, I could totally see her not even realizing that too. Just being uh-huh. like, oh, we're going as dentists, and right. then you get to the party and nobody knows, and right. she's like, really? Or what? or maybe she's a dentist and then Ron is a tooth. <laughs> like, he's just a big tooth. <laughs> okay. Well, I think that's a great place to end. We're running out of time here. So let me just first give it up for Megan for being the guest for the second act here. Another round of applause for Aurora coming on as a special appearance. And for Kelly again for the first act. Big shout out to everyone here at Deep Bell Mart Company for making this happen from tech and everything else. Uh, that's been really nice. So thanks to all of them for making this all a possibility. <laughs> shout out to shout out to uh, my family and Kelly's family, our combined family that was here and like helping like running back and forth and being like, oh, there's still a long merch line. Let's hold. I'd be like, great, tell them we'll hold. So thank you for facilitating that as I frantically prepared backstage. But also thank you all so much for coming out. None of this would be possible without you. So thank you so much. Um, um, thank you all so much for coming out. I really appreciate it. I'm not going to be able to, to stick around after and stuff just because, you know, like COVID and all of that. And we're traveling soon. I got LeakyCon and I got to not get sick for that because I got a lot on the agenda to do. But I appreciate you all so much for coming out. And I'm going to try to, oh, I need to find a way. I always forget to do the thing where I figure out how to combine the two things. So I guess, uh, thank you. As they say in the wizarding world slash demigod world, when they do wizarding stuff, wizard on. And then until next time, I'll see you later. Thanks for coming out, everybody. Hey, thank you so much for listening to this episode of The News Olympian. This podcast is created, hosted, and produced by me, Mike Schubert. I also run the social media and the website. Our editor and TikTok account runner is Sherry Guo. The music is by Bettina Kampamanas and Brandon Grugel, and the art is by Jessica E. Boyd. If you want to get involved in the community around the show, you can do so on social media. We are at News Olympian on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook. Facebook also has the spoiler group and the spoiler free group. We also are at reddit.com slash r slash The News Olympian. If you want to take it to the next level, you can get in on the TNO Discord by joining our Patreon by going to the News com/patreon. Speaking of that Patreon, that's where bonus content lives. If you're looking for more TNO content, bonus episodes, director's commentary, monthly live streams, those all live there. And speaking of that Patreon, I want to give a huge shout out to our producer level patrons, Lada Bartova, Kelsey Gillespie, The Damn Steam Nuggets, Emma Cooey, Vicky Garcia, Ellie Hauskovchova, Veronica Bartova, Haley Hastings, Robin Garcia, Frida Vickstrom, Megan Moon, Tough Bayfong, Olivia Y, Craig McRoberts, Taylor Payne, Giselle Salvador, Peter Johnson, The Twin, Sabrina Balsiger, Bony Pony, Heather McMillan, Casey Williams, Polly Burge, Nikki Harris, Tatiana Schmidt, 
Sandra Rose, Bridget Lowry, Josh Sayer, Josh Wilkie, Abby Ryan, Wise Girl, Ashton Gabrielson, Marco Redhouse, Falcon Joey James, Christopher William Boucher, Lux, Caden Mack, Sam Sam Reby, Carly Allen, Riley Kiedis, Mary Kelly, Audra, Mackenzie, Mrs. O'Leary, Aaron Wood, Rodith Kalna, Milo Kim, Fred Cabras, Harlan Christ, CC Reads 23, Sankopf, Julia Kendall, Emil Oscar Thomason, Noah Bungard, Liz Cardigan, Shatzebobs, Michelle Spurgeon, Zachary Hamilton, Ginger Spurs Boy, Rachel Bernadowich, Sarah Neal, Ricky, and Francesca Pacheco. If you want to help out the show in a non-monetary way, spreading it via word of mouth is essential to the podcast's growth. If you think of someone that would like the show, you could reach out to them directly and say, hey, there's this podcast. You love Percy Jackson. Listen to it. Or you've been looking for an excuse to read the Percy Jackson books. Here's a digital book club. Or you could post about the show on social media or leave it a rating and review on whatever podcasting app you're using. All of these things really do help. And I appreciate all of you who have done it in the past or will do it in the future. But I'm just so thankful that you tuned into this episode and hope you tune into our next episode where we'll be joined by Sarah Barra, repeat guest. And yes, live in Sydney. She is in Australia, so she was able to join for the Sydney Live Show. Super fun. We covered the rest of chapter two and a good chunk of chapter three. But until then, I'll pursue you later. Hey everyone, how's it going? It's me, ASMR Mike. So what you are going to hear for this ASMR Mike segment is audio footage of Kelly and I taking rocks and kerplunking them into the blue pools in the South Island here in New Zealand. It was very fun. The water was very clear and it made for some good ASMR segments. So here's us chucking some big stones into a flowing stream that made some very satisfying plunk noises. Thank you so much for listening.